At long last, we found a sermon to review, and it is from the ELCA Youth Gathering this past summer in Houston, and the speaker is none other than Nadia Boltz-Weber. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. Not just the likely, not just the lovely, all means all, which means with my luck, I'll be seated at the heavenly banquet between Harvey Weinstein and some racist cop. I've been hankering for a sermon review here, probably as you might have realized last week with uh, kind of my desperation move to go to the Babylon USA, but that was still a fun uh, fun one to go through. Very entertaining. I love the conspiracy theory things, and generally speaking, they're, pr- they're pretty clever, if you don't, especially if you don't know anything, if you had no clue, and you're brand new to Christianity, and these guys kind of brought this stuff out, uh, you wouldn't know any different you think oh yeah that makes complete sense i mean it all lines up and look it's the bible and so on and so forth so at any rate uh we're gonna get to a sermon review here which uh we need to take a lot more seriously uh this this is probably more well not to not to put it in no uncertain terms probably more of the threat uh than a film like babylon usa unfortunately and uh, that's Nadia Boltz-Weber speaking to a very large crowd of Christian youth at the ELCA Youth Gathering this past summer. But before we get to all that, before we get to all that, please let me remind you to donate your $50 to our well project uh, in Kenya. This goes to Kibos Hope Academy. Uh, just to give you kind of an update on things, we have purchased some art or are planning on purchasing some art to sell and those proceeds will go directly to the well project. We're doing okay with it. We need to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. And uh, those of you who have been maybe procrastinating on this, you're going to donate. I, I understand. I get it. Uh, but go ahead and give your $50. Going to be meeting with the uh, board uh, to kind of discuss how to how to go forward. And we're going to be having uh, Monica Ochola on for another interview here pretty soon. And I'm looking forward to seeing... Uh, how things are progressing there with her other projects and and how uh, Hope for the Destitute is is moving along and really trying to make a difference uh, in Kenya. And with, you know, all the money floating around in the United States, it's this stuff is possible. It just just takes the uh, just takes the willpower, the desire to, to try to, to try to do something about it. And it can be done. Somebody puts puts their mind to it, which is exactly what we're trying to do. And we'll just hang in there with it until we, we get there and uh, keep, uh, keep meeting and discussing how uh, we can uh, how we can help those uh, you know those the, the, really the widows and orphans of the world in, in a sense you know in these emerging countries um, in Africa uh, you know do, do what uh, the Lord commands and Holy Scripture uh, and what, what St. James teaches us is is true religion and we should we should be a part of this theology is important. Understanding our faith is is very important, uh, but but I just saw a great opportunity here with the podcast being as I don't need to make any money off the podcast. I'm perfectly content driving trucks. <laughs> um, I don't. I'm not sure what I, I I might start my own trucking company if I if I ever started you know actually making some money off of the podcast if that ever happened. Uh, that might that would probably who knows. I just I I really enjoy that. But the point being that uh, that that's not how I make money. I enjoy how I make money now. And if I can somehow uh, 
use this uh, hobby of mine to help others out, then then so much the better, so much the better. So please do uh, consider giving to the Well Project. It is a, it, we're asking for a one-time fifty dollar donation, but if you wanted to break that up into five payments of ten bucks each or ten payments of five bucks each, uh, doesn't bother us at all. Uh, on the GoFundMe, it doesn't uh, cost you anything, uh, really, and it doesn't cost us anything to do that. So if you went to the GoFundMe and you gave five bucks this month for the next, uh, what is it, 50, uh, so 10 months, whatever it is. <laughs> Am I doing that math right? I can't add. But anyway, that's beside the point. Get five bucks for however long it would take to get to make it 50. That would be great or better. That That would be fine. So, um, but that's just where we need to get there. And like I say, with the amount of listeners we have, uh, scant few though they are comparative to, uh, to many popular podcasts, YouTube channels, and et cetera out there, we're not huge, but we've got enough, we've got enough people listening. I know for a fact that with the analytics that, um, that this is very doable. It's just going to take the, uh, the motivation and the willpower for us to, to see it through. So please do give, uh, to the well project and I thank you for it. Okay, so Nadia Bolts Weber is going to give us a sermon here that I think is both telling and confusing all at the same time, which is kind of how postmodern Christianity goes. But we're going to try to sort it out for you, lay this ugly bag of snakes out straight, and tell you what's going on here and why certain parts of it may be confusing. It may be confusing in her own mind as well, uh, but I but I doubt it. I, I I'm pretty sure I've got a good bead on where she's going with this, how it fits really with her worldview ultimately, and uh, how, you know, how we can understand this and why it is a threat to our youth. You know, the Socrates was accused of corrupting the youth. I'm pretty certain that Nadia Boltz Weber is corrupting the youth. Having, having worked with youth for many years myself, I know how they hear things. They, it's, it's astonishing to me uh, when I would give a sermon or give a, a lecture of, of some sort what these children would walk away with and then I would find out they did this with what I said and I'm you know because their parents are calling me up going Matt you said this to the kids and now my son or daughter has done this and I'm going what they did what they what they did how they how did that happen uh, and then the parent promptly explains to me well you said this and they took it this way and I'm going oh hmm well you know, and I found this with my own uh, teenage daughter and my preteen son. That if you aren't abundantly clear with them about what you're what you are asking, and you don't lay the boundaries out clearly, they will take latitude with. Well, they take latitude with it even when you lay the boundaries out clearly. So imagine what they do when you're not clear on these things. And unfortunately, this this sermon that uh, Nadia gives is abundantly unclear. And we're going to walk through it. So I'm not going to gild the lily very much at all this week. No no big monologue this week. Not not a big surprise uh, coming out of the, the ELCA. It is um, disheartening that uh, this many youth are hearing this and cheering these sorts of things. You're going to hear loud cheers and so on and so forth. Uh, Nadia is, is a person that's very appealing to teenagers because of how she dresses. Uh, that you know She shows off her tattoos. She does her hair weird. And that's very appealing to, to teenagers. She's very relatable, <laughs> even though that's, the, I mean, may or may not be her motivation for how she does things. But 
but but she has definitely uh, uh, something that's simpatico with with the youth of today, and uh, it, it it works. It definitely works with them. Unfortunately, it's it's the wrong message to them. Hopefully, what uh, you know, she, they're too distracted by all of that other stuff to actually hear what she's actually saying and and put it into practice. But we're gonna go through it and and just help you to kind of realize what's out there and really um stuff it's there's stuff in here to look out for in our own tradition in our own lcms you know i'm a i'm a lutheran church missouri standard lutheran um and there's going to be some some telltale signs of antinomianism here and how it connects to what we really talked about in 2017 you know i've kind of said all i want to say about antinomianism i think i beat that dead horse to death a million times i think you get it but uh, I, maybe something you don't get is where all that sort of thing leads to, and this is where it is. I said I wasn't going to gild the lily, but I had to gild it a little bit there. Anyway, let's get going on this. Here's Nadia Boltz-Weber at the uh, 2018 ELCA Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas. Here we go. of the baptismal liturgy is when we are asked, do you renounce the devil and all his empty promises? Because there is another name for empty promises, and that's downright lies. We Christians who follow the chain break in Jesus of Nazareth, we stand up and we renounce lies. So in closing, let me ask you something. Beloved of God, Do you renounce the accuser and all his lies and empty promises? If so, say, I renounce them. Do you renounce the lies of white supremacy and its demonic legacy in this country and at this moment at our borders? Do you renounce the lies that if you get a B in chemistry, it means you are suddenly consigned to a grim future? Do you renounce the lies that your body isn't already perfect and made in God's image? Do you renounce the lies that only able-bodied people are worthy of taking up room on this planet? Do you renounce the lies that try and convince you that your current reality is your ultimate reality? Do you renounce the lie that queerness is anything other than beauty? Do you renounce the lies that tell you that grace isn't real? That there is even one thing God can't redeem? Well, me too. Amen. Alright, so I started at the end of this sermon because uh, it gives context to the first 20 minutes or so of of the sermon. Because if you listen to this from front to back, it's hard to tell what how she's defining her terms. So trying to get this idea of, of what Nadia thinks about grace and that sort of thing. So that's why I started at the end with kind of this, this call and response that she did. And, uh, first of all, the, the baptismal right says, do you renounce the devil in all his ways? And that's, I guess, I'm, I guess that's altered in the ELC, ELCA baptismal right that to, to read, do you, do you renounce the devil and all his empty promises? I'm not sure about that. I, I haven't read their baptismal right. I know ours, uh, I'm fairly certain, says, 
do you renounce the devil and all his ways? Uh, which is, you know, which we take to mean, do you renounce the devil and all his ways? And his ways are acting against the commands of God and Holy Scripture. But uh, for Weber, well, <laughs> is that what it means? I, you know, we'll see. We'll see as we go through this sermon. And, you know, the lies of the devil are, for Weber, I think are not temptations to break God's commands. They're, they're, they're something else. They are the legacy of white supremacy in America, which is being fleshed out at our borders right now. Uh, I'm not sure what she means by either of those things. The, the legacy of white supremacy in America... Uh, well, and we've talked about the whole what what people mean when they say white. I don't know if that's something she's she's picked up on or if she knows what what it means. I I mean, my considered guess is she knows what she's talking about when she says white supremacy, and what they're talking about is Western liberal capitalism. That's that's white supremacy. That may be what she's talking about, and and she's doing it in reference to, about our borders. Is she talking about the separated separation of children from parents? Uh, you know, enforcing border laws. Having borders, not quite sure there, but 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 according to Web, according to uh, Nadia here, that is um, that is a lie of Satan. Um, also, another lie of Satan is getting a B in chemistry, uh, being consigned to a grim future. Another lie of Satan is that um, uh, that you're. Uh, Body is 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 not always not already perfect and made in God, God's image. I'm not sure if I caught that particularly. I think she said your body is the lie of Satan is that your body isn't perfect and made in God, God's image. So you know whatever body type shape you have is is perfectly fine. Um, only able-bodied people are worthy to worthy of taking up room on this planet. That's another uh, lie that Satan says. Uh, your current reality is your ultimate rea- reality. She kind of talks about this throughout the sermon, so I'm not going to re- address that too much. Uh, that queerness is anything other than beauty. That's that's a that's a lie of Satan, according to Nadia here. That grace isn't real. That there isn't one thing that God can't redeem. All right, so a few points on this. Um, if we don't have God's commands, we will make up our own. Uh, postmodern Christians like like Nadia here have, they have truths and they have commands. Uh, the whole nihilistic word game where there's really no meaning, where nothing has meaning, it has an infinite number of interpretations, can be interpreted anyway, which leads to ultimate nihilism. That's the sleight of hand. That's that's the game they play in order to, to get their truths and commands uh, across if you will. And, and we'll kind of explore that as we go on. And we've talked about this in the past as we've talked about postmodernism. Uh, but let's take each of these uh, things that, that Nadia claims to be lies and see if they have any biblical merit. First of all, the legacy of, of white supremacy in America, uh, especially being played out at the borders right now. Uh, is, is there any scriptural merit to it? Well, if she's talking about the idea that people who are quote-unquote white consider themselves to be the superior race then yes that definitely has biblical merit i mean if i if i thought of you know i'm german (laughs) 
Um, if I thought, and I'm, you know, fairly, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed type of German, if I thought I was a superior being because of my genetically determined appearance as compared to other people, yes, that would be a sin according to Holy Scripture. Um, however, if she's talking about uh, Western liberal capitalism being a sin or being white supremacist, um, I have a hard time making that connection. So I'm, I'm not sure uh, where in Holy Scripture uh, you, you might make that case. Um, how about the getting a B in chemistry consigned to a grim future? Well, again, this is, you know, as I mentioned in the outset, um, teenage children have, a, have a, 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 well, we all have this, but teenage children in particular, <laughs> I think those of you with teenagers would know this, have a particular propensity to hear what they want to hear. Um, and for her to say this, I, I can guarantee you there's a good, a grip, if not a lot, of the teenage children out there going, there's two groups of them. One, the group of kids who don't make such good grades going, oh, good, doesn't matter what kind of grades I make in school. The other group of kids going, well, I'm busting my rear making, trying to make straight A's, and that's really just not that important. So I'm going to stop trying to do that. That's that's pretty much the two groups of people <laughs> that you have out there. And then you've got a few out there who, you know, who are these perfectionists who made straight A's up until the last semester and they made a B in chemistry and they think it's the end of the world. That those people are few and far between far between. That's your overachievers who are trying to, you know, overachieve. And when they make a B, I've been there, I've been an overachiever. I know what that feels like. When you make a B in something and you just think it's the end of the world, eh. Those are fairly few and far between, but maybe she's trying to, to hit those people. Um, is that is that biblical? Uh, again, having a hard time finding a biblical connection there. Uh, your body is... This one I didn't get. It, it, I don't know if she said your body isn't already perfect and made in God's image or is already perfect. I don't know where... Because I know what her stance is on transgenderism. That's outside of this sermon. So I'm drawing on other experience. Uh, or, uh, other, yeah, other experiences I've had with with Nadia Bolds Weber's teachings on these things, and so I I think she said your body is it, yeah isn't already perfect and made in God's image. That's a lie of Satan. Okay, so in other words, if if you have a if you're big boned, you tend to be a little bit overweight or something of that nature, and and you're down on yourself because of the way you look. Um, then yeah, if if that's you know if if you're down on yourself because of that, um then sure yeah that's satan coming in and telling you you're you're not as as worthy as somebody else who's who's thin and beautiful that that is a lie that's that's just not true and th- i think that has absolute biblical merit there we can make all kinds of connections there that that god loves loves the unlovely not, not even loves the unlovely the god god created you so he he does love you and so there's no question about that i think i think that's the point she was trying to make there and um, only able-bodied people are worthy of taking up room on this planet. That's a lie of Satan. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, because in, in our present day and time in the United States, you know, unborn children aren't, aren't worthy. I mean, they're not able-bodied at all. They're not doing anything. They're just taking up space in the mother's womb. And we don't think that they're worthy to do that. Uh, we also don't think that, that elder, the elderly or the disabled you know, uh, there's a lot. Of, there's pushes in all kinds of Western countries to to abort Down syndrome children. Um, 
you know, that's that's evil and that's sinful. And so I would completely agree that that's biblical. Um, that your current reality is your ultimate rea- reality. Too vague to really say. Not sure quite what to do with that. So I'm just going to leave that one. Um, that queerness is anything other than beauty. That's inherently unbiblical. She's talking about homosexuality there. And homosexuality is ugly and sinful. It's not beautiful. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So obviously she and I disagree on that one. And she has no biblical... Uh, there's no way she from Holy Scripture can argue that that's, that's a biblical point. Uh, that grace isn't real, that, that there isn't one thing that God can't redeem. That's absolutely biblical. All right. Now, the so what's the point in, in kind of going through the, all of this? Well, again, remember that in the, in the postmodern worldview, the idea is not what is true. The idea is what subverts. That's the idea. So again, I always make this illustration. If you're a Lutheran, You'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not, don't worry about it. But we have the creed and the explanation of the creed by Luther. And at the end of it, we say, this is most certainly true. The postmodern would say, okay, this is what's going on. Um, And they would ask the question, does this subvert? And we would say, oh, this most certainly subverts. So, you know, A and F. So the idea of the whole white supremacy thing and the being queer is beautiful idea is is politically and culturally subversive. Um, B might subvert family and authority. I I, I would I, my again my considered guess is that if you tell teenagers this that they're going to go one or two directions with it. One I don't make good grades. Eh. And Nadia told me it doesn't matter, so it doesn't matter. Or I make great grades and I'm really trying super hard to make good grades and I'm making good grades. Uh, but Nadi said that doesn't matter, so I'm going to stop trying. That's that's about the two reactions you're going to get from teenagers, which is going to run them into trouble with their parents, probably, and um, their teachers. So I, I, this is a really not not a not a very helpful at all. In fact, destructive and probably going to cause controversy in the home type of thing to say to teenage children. I don't care how liberal their church is. Uh, the you look. Liberals are liberals in name only. They don't live liberally. They live conservatively. I mean, even Nadia has children, and I think she has a husband. Pretty sure about this. But the point is that um, that if these children go home and they don't make good grades, and they said, "Well, Nadia told me I don't have to worry about that," uh, or they make good grades and they go to their parents and say, "Mom, Dad, I'm not worried about my grades anymore. I'm not even trying anymore." This is going to cause problems. This is not a helpful thing to say. But for those few overachievers out there who got to be, they might feel better about themselves now. <laughs> um, um, C subverts bullies and beauty culture. That's a good thing. D subverts, like I said, abortion and euthanasia. And the last one subverts Holy Scripture, I'm afraid. And we'll prove this later, I think. And uh, yeah, later on in the in this sermon, um, because I'm not quite sure. I mean, I. I, I know how I would understand, you know, gr- the whole grace isn't real thing. There isn't one thing that God can't redeem because God can can forgive all sin. There are, there's not a sin that that isn't covered by by cross by Christ on the cross. Uh, but uh, but I think but I think this is actually something that she's intending to subvert Scripture with, and I'll show you why later on. Now, is subversion always bad? No. It, uh, um, 
uh, it's not bad because Holy Scripture teaches us that if something evil and false is going on, that we should subvert it. And we should use the authority of Holy Scripture to subvert it. That, that certainly should be true. Uh, I, I think we should do it in a more straightforward way and just say, hey, we disagree with that. And we think it's immoral and attack it head on instead of using these these postmodern um, nihilistic subversion tactics. There's a much better way to do it. But subversion is not always wrong. Uh, but, but if we want to subvert evil things, we have to know what is evil in the first place to subvert it. And we, and we should know for sure that it is evil before we go out on these subversion missions. We can't just make this stuff up. All right. And so really, this the end of the sermon sets the whole table for the rest of the sermon. And um, it's, it's instructive to us where she's at, where she's going with all this, the thrust of her message. And um, as we evaluate this biblically, uh, is, is, you know, is this something that we want children to be taught? Is this something we should buy into? And, and, and how, how do denominations, how do people get to where Nadia is from maybe where some of our more antinomian leaning, um, Christian friends, Christian teachers are around us right now? Uh, because I think, I think this is something that is, is going to really throw the church off track. I mean, the ELCA is not exactly a thriving denomination right now, let me tell you. Um, and um, ultimately, this kind of teaching has, has subverted denominations like this. Talk about subversion. Talk about a plan to destroy American Christianity. This is a pretty good one right here if you go this route. Um, and I'm not sure I'm... I would be astonished if I were to find out that that Naughty Bolts Weber's game plan was to, hey, I am so glad that I have been ordained as a pastor in the ELCA because from here I can really take major pot shots at the church and work to help eventually destroy it. I'd be shocked if that was her motivation, but you never know. I've heard I've I listen, when I was at Claremont, as shocking as it may sound, the majority of the students I was in theology classes were were there for that very reason. They wanted to get into quote unquote pastoral ministry because they felt like the best way to destroy the church, which which is an enemy of their postmodern agenda, um, is is to do it from the inside. And you know, inside jobs are pretty effective a lot of times. And this is you know, uh, you know. Uh, trust me as far as you can throw me, but this, but this was the reason why uh, a lot of my colleagues at Claremont were there because they were like, well, the, the church has been a huge barrier in forwarding our agenda uh, in America, and the best way we think we can destroy it is from the inside, and that was really their attitudes. So I don't know that, I don't know that about Nadia, can't make that claim. Uh, but she is certainly, if, if nothing else, um, and uh, this is not meant to be pejorative, but just illustrative, she's certainly a useful idiot uh, to those ends um, if, if she's not consciously uh, participating in this. Okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's go back to the beginning of this sermon. And in light of uh, what we've kind of covered here, um, uh, engage the rest of it. Angry teenage kid with a substance abuse problem. Be brave, she said. Tell it. 
and so reluctantly I did. And of all the inelegant things I wrote about myself in that book, publicly admitting to drug use and alcoholism, deceit, sexual indiscretion, misanthropy, pretending to be a hero, the pain and alienation of my youth was the one thing that made me think, if I tell this, I might die. If I show what's under the tattoos, no one again will believe that I'm tough. But the truth is that my daily reality at your age was name-calling and bullying and social isolation because I looked like a freak. Okay, so <clears throat> she's talking about um, her book called Patrick, uh, Pastrix, and she's rattling off these rebellious sins. Now, this seems to be fairly common among youth speakers. I... Um, not sure how much I did this when I was a youth pastor. Kind of, I don't know. I've got I've got tapes of my old sermons. But the point being that this seems to be something that youth speakers try to do to show, hey, I was this rebellious, you know, misanthropic, you know, kid who graded against the system because of of certain aspects of my life. And instead of saying that was really a these were really terrible mistakes. These ended up haunting me later. I did things that I still regret to this day and are, are not good for me, aren't good for my soul, aren't good for my psyche, etc. Uh, they just kind of gloss over it or make excuses for it. Now, Nadia started off telling about a, a, dis, uh, a medical problem she had up until the age of 16, which caused her to be bullied. And that that is something for which we should have sympathy. And I think that's something that is, is good to tell children. I mean, if you're a famous speaker and you said, hey, you know, I, I was bullied too as a teenager because of something I couldn't help, that's that's something that's important because that does give comfort to people to say, hey, I'm not I'm not alone in this. Um, but, uh, but, but making excuses for dealing with that sin, or not dealing with that sin, but dealing with something that you're born with you couldn't help um, is... It, is not the route to go. Uh, note to bullies. First of all, you're of the devil. And if you bully people and bother people because of something, uh, because because of anything, even if it's a, a blatant sin, I mean, this is something I think the church has made a mistake on with the whole sexual movement, sexual revolution, is we have <clears throat> demonized these people in some ways. Um, and, our, and our society at large has demonized them. And that has resulted in the tensions we have today on this matter. Um, it doesn't matter what the human being, uh, what, what, what condition the human being is in, whether it's something they've, they've inherited or were born with, like, like a condition like Nadia was, or whether it's something they've done to themselves. They still deserve our compassion. And, and they still deserve grace. They never deserve to be bullied or, or, or maligned or anything of that nature. Because as Nadia very well points out in this sermon, this is something she does very well, <clears throat> is, is preaches that, hey, we are all sinners at the end of the day. And, and to even tease somebody about their sin is wrong. Because you too are a sinner. So for you to think that you're better than X, Y, or Z sinner is... Um, yeah, that's not biblical at all. And Nadia does a great job of pointing that out. 
So if if you think because you've gone to church your whole life and have and by God's grace have walked the straight and narrow that you're somehow superior uh, to somebody who hasn't, then um, then you're in for a rude awakening. The Holy Scripture teaches that pride goeth before a fall, and that is simple pride, because all of us are at the end of the day sinners, and this is what we confess in our Lutheran churches, and this is one thing that that Lutherans. Confessional Lutherans are in danger of. We're in danger of being pharisaical. We really are. That's something we should guard against. And Nadia is warning us about that here. And we should take that warning seriously. We shouldn't just blow this stuff off. Because when we don't take that seriously, then then I think sometimes the reaction is what we get from Nadia here. Now, what the majority of what she says is wrong. But this is something that we should watch out for should be very cognizant of and realize that we are deeply flawed no matter how long we've been going to church no longer you know no no matter how good our marriages are these sorts of things those are good things and we should admire those things we should laud them we should continue to pursue them but the minute we think that we're that we are without sin um we've got a problem we've got a problem we're not looking at our own lives uh with much discrimination if that if that's the case and especially if you are teasing people because they are struggling with sin, even though they're they're struggling with it, if you're giving them a hard time and you're looking down on them, then repent. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. I don't care what the sin is. You shouldn't be doing that. All right. And that's part of what Nadia is reacting to here. But I think her reaction is is an overreaction. Okay. Now, to those of us who are bullied, if we are bullied, I've never been bullied in my entire life, really. <laughs> Um, I, I just wouldn't allow it. If you tried to bully me, I'd punch you in the face. I, that's just how I was. <laughs> and I always have been. Uh, yeah, if anything, I'm more prone to, to bully. But to those who are bullied, yes, you are a victim. But, but the question is, how are you going to respond to that? And it would have been great if Nadia here would have said that sin and rebellion aren't the answer to these things. And I think she, she's trying to say that by saying that she tried to answer these things with, with sexual indiscretion and, you know, again, like misanthropic behavior, alcohol, these sorts of things. And I think a very discerning teen would say, oh, okay, she's mentioned those things and those aren't the answer. But but she glosses over those way too quickly. Um, she, she's speaking to teens. <laughs> and, and, and look, I mean, those of us who are adults, yes, we can we can kind of pick through this sort of thing. And I can kind of see how, okay, yeah, no, yeah Nadia mentioned those things. And, and, and really what she's implying is they're not answers to the bullying or to the things that we were born with that we can't help. Uh, however, she needs to be explicit with this. I think just across the board, not only with teenagers, but with everybody. Um, you know, b- bully teenagers are going to take from this, just like with the grades thing, they're going to take from this kind of message, you know, um, uh, you know, really what I need to do is be more like Nadia. You know, if, if I'm being bullied, then I need to go ahead and do the rebellion thing and yeah, you know, look at her now. Look at all of her tattoos. Look how cool she looks, and she's up here speaking in front of everybody. I want to follow her path. Well, she should be discouraging people from following her path, um, because it's not clear to me that she wouldn't say, "Well, you know, you know, maybe that's the path you need to go down, so you can get to where I am." That's that's the thing. It's not clear to me as an adult, not a teenager's. I am absolutely certain that they would look at this situation and go, oh, well, this is what's going on with me. This is what Nadia did with it. She rebelled. She tried all these other kinds of things. And so when I get home, that's what I'm going to do. 
And um, even, again, even if you are a parent of a teenager that goes to an ELCA church, if your teenager comes home and has as their mission uh, to, to rebel, this is not going to be good times for you. It's not. And so, you know, um, let me just put that out there. If any of you are listening um, and who are having, who have teenagers who are struggling with such issues, um, no matter what church you go to, if they start going down this way, this is not going to be good times for anybody. And I think Nadia is irresponsible at best uh, to put things this way. Not for nothing, but um, so that memoir I was talking about was titled Pastrix, and I tell you that because the word Pastrix was literally an insult that conservative Christian bloggers used to lob my way. Because they wouldn't use my title, Pastor Nadia Boltzweber, because they didn't think girls should be pastors. So as an insult, they called me Pastrix. There are a million reasons I should not be a pastor, but literally being a girl is not one of them. Okay, so I, I disagree with that. <laughs> um, I mean, girls, what do you want? You get to, like, perpetuate the human species. We, we just want to be pastors, and not all of us, not all of us guys, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> not going to relitigate that whole piece of Holy Scripture, um, but I will say that those bloggers, those angry Christian conservative bloggers, whatever you want to call them, they gave... Uh, Nadia, the the title Pastrix, um, that's that's not helpful in any way, shape, matter, manner, or form. And in fact, this is something that I need to work on and be very cognizant of, because when I'm doing this kind of thing, it's very easy for me to lob ad hominems at people and make fun of them and tease and bully, and that's that's not the way this is done. Um, if it does, and it doesn't matter. Um, if whoever you're arguing arguing against uses those despicable and sinful tactics, it's it's not for us to to return the favor. That's not the move. That doesn't further the conversation. It's not helpful and it's not Christ-like. It's not it's not how Christ ever argued. He always argued on the merits of God's word. Not one time in Holy Scripture can you find me an instant where. Christ using a, a pure ad hominem against someone uh, like that, and, I, and it's just it's just not it's not helpful. So so Nadia is right to point this out, you know. And I, I am trying to be generous to her, and I think that's what what we need in this day and time when when the conversation is so vitriolic and so you know it's so divided and, and divisive, and we just it's almost like we can't even talk to each other because. You know, we're them, and and they they are those other people, and it's it's nonsense. And this sort of thing, um, that that's done, uh, is not helpful, and and it just continues to further further divide us, not help us to communicate. Then, this God created every one of us in the male and female image of God. God shared with us God's own image, something so holy that it could never be harmed, never be taken away, a never-aloneness, an origin, a destination, a source code of grace. I was thinking this week that the thing that keeps me so obsessed with grace is the way that grace is related to truth. 
Because when we trust in grace, we're unafraid of the truth, good or bad. There's no reason to fear. For example, like it feels good to be inspired by other people, to admire their accomplishments and be dazzled by their virtues. And there's nothing wrong with that, but what I really want is to not feel so alone. And while I might feel inspired by someone who's good, I only feel less alone when someone shares their failures with me, the things they struggle with, the parts of themselves that are like more jagged than smooth. There are many of us out there who know that while so much spirituality and religion and self-help is nothing less than an attempt to like smooth out our rough edges, it just so happens that the jagged edges of our humanity are what actually connect us to God and to one another. Okay, so there's, I see as a thematic problem with with Nadia's sermon here and her idea of grace. Um, First of all, we kind of, as I alluded to before, we have imperfections that that we can't help. Um, Then we have imperfections that have to do with our behavior. <clears throat> now, grace certainly encompasses showing kindness to someone with, say, Down syndrome. They were, they were born with that. They can't help. <laughs> they can't transform that. They can't change that. And so we show, we show them grace. They might make a social misstep or you know even sin at some point, but, but we're willing to show them maybe more grace than we would show someone that was born without Down syndrome. Um, grace, however, is not calling what is evil good. I mean, Isaiah talks about this. And Weber, uh, Nadia needs, seems to conflate these two things ideas. She doesn't, you know, with politics, she doesn't have any problem calling um, something like what's going on at the United States border a, a lie of, of Satan. She didn't have any problem calling uh, queerness beautiful. Um, and we've pointed out how harmful homosexuality is in this way. Um, and I'm not going to get into the, the border issue. That that simply, honestly, just doesn't interest me at all. Um, but our jagged edges aren't what brings us together. And let, let me try to lay this out for you. Um, alcoholics like to hang out with other alcoholics. Because when they're in that vice, when they're in that addiction, they want to be affirmed in it. And so if you're an alcoholic, you hang out with other alcoholics, you drink, and you feel like, hey, nothing wrong with this, nothing wrong with me, I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and we forget that sinful behavior harms. It doesn't help. Now, here's what I think she's driving at is that God in Christ can forgive any sin and that it is helpful to hear how someone who was engrossed in a difficult sin and how they overcame it. You know, you talk to somebody who said, you know, gosh, I used to, this, these are the things I used to be engaged in. Um, I'm not proud of them. They were destructive and I wish I would have never done them. God, you know, God could have done with me what he's doing with me without me being rebellious and sinful. Um, but I was engaged in these things, but God be praised, he helped me to overcome them. 
Now, now that makes a person feel less alone. Like, hey, you know, I've got problems. I, I'm engaged in sinful behavior that I, I just I'm not sure I can get out of. Um, and that makes you feel like it, it can happen. You know, when you when you meet somebody who uh, who has overcome a sin you're struggling with, then that that is helpful. Um, but what is not helpful is is to encourage people to continue to engage in sinful behavior. And the reason we feel alone when we sin is because it cuts us off from other people. It, it doesn't have to do with anything other than that. When we, when we do something that's harmful to those around us, it cuts us off from them. I mean, take alcoholism. You can see how this cuts a person off from, from first of all, spouse and, and children and churchmates and these sorts of things. Okay, so, so sin does this. Um, it's not our jagged edges that brings us together. It's the fact that, that, that the sin of our past is forgiven, that Christ has freed us from that, and that we no longer have to be that way. That's, that's hopeful. And, and, and the idea that we can overcome brings us together, sure. But the idea of continuing in, continuing in sin and, and maybe glorying, that's kind of the sense I'm getting from Nadia here, is that we, we glory in those sins. Um, that's not helpful because as, as we're engaged in those things, these things are harmful to others. Um, and it cuts us off from them. And then, we, and then if we feel lonely and we're trying to cure that loneliness... Um, or that 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 alienation by sending more, um, it only continues to further cut us off and make us feel alone, right? Okay, so we're trying to find a way out of that trap, and I'm not sure that Nadia's uh, ideas here are extremely helpful uh, in, in that regard. It's this burden that we carry of always knowing the difference between like our ideal self and our actual self. The difference between our ideal body and our actual body. Between our, our ideal friends and our actual friends. Between our ideal hobbies and like, you know, our actual hobbies. It's like an emotional and spiritual Pinterest board just always mocking us. And you have to know that we come by this little pathology honestly. Our culture colludes in this lie of self-perfection. But if you think about it, um, no one's ever become their ideal self. It's a moving target. It's a false promise. Your ideal self is a lie. So the bottom line is like the reason to be unafraid of being honest and just tell the truth about ourselves and to be our actual selves is uh, your ideal self doesn't exist. The self that God has a relationship to is your actual self. The self God loves is your actual self. And there's a word for this. And that word is grace. God isn't waiting for you to become thinner or more spiritual or better athlete to love you. I think the more distracted we become by our projects of self-improvement, the less we really even experience the love of God because we're too busy trying to earn what's already been freely given to us. So here's the deal. Your ideal self is not real. You are. You and all your inconsistencies and beauty. You and your sinner and saintness. You, God, beloved... 
You are magnificently imperfect. Okay, if you listen to my podcasts last year on antinomianism, this should sound very familiar. And this is why some of the preaching I hear in my own denomination alarms me. Preaching and teaching. It's a confusion of law and gospel. It's a, it's a confusion of law and gospel because it confuses justification and sanctification. Now, yes, God loves you even though you are a sinner. St. Paul teaches us this in Romans. So is the message Nadia is trying to deliver here? Is, is it don't worry about it, just stay that way? Uh, that's going to be an unmitigated disaster, especially for teenagers or anybody else who does this. Um, and just newsflash, nobody does this. Uh, even Nadia has spent her life trying to improve herself and get better. She mis- mentioned her litany of sinful behavior, substance abuse, sexual promiscuity, etc. She didn't simply stay that way. She changed. The gospel empowers us to get better, friends, according to God's commands. And that may mean if you're grossly obese, you might have to work hard to do something about that. Now, that doesn't mean you succumb to kind of this beauty cult that that our culture has put in front of us. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean if you're just, that's, your body type isn't the Hollywood you know, size six, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking care of yourself so you can take care of your wife or your husband or your family. You know, same thing goes with substances, sexuality. Men, good husbands, have to keep it together. Not because we're trying to earn God's grace, but because of it. So we can love each other. Um, it's not loving to say, oh, I'm just, whatever, pick your sin and just tell the person you love, well, you just have to live with it because God may be that way. I mean, you know, men, if your wife is trying to help you work on something that you know is a problem and you just say, well, too bad, honey, you know, God may be that way and that's just how I'm going to be. That's not going to fly. And Nadia knows this. She knows this. Um, and and this, is, this is part of what she, she should be preaching to the teenagers. Now, what's ultimately confusing about all of this is that <clears throat> certainly she's got some rules. Um, certainly she's got some ideas about this. And, um, you know, I'm going to bring that out here and then we've got to close it off for this week. In all fairness, I should warn you... Um that this grace thing isn't all wine and roses. Because if you think about it, grace is a double-edged sword. Because it pushes me to a place I don't want to go, a place where mercy and forgiveness are true for me, awesome, but are also true for those I can't stand, you know, those who don't deserve it. God's grace is for me and for everyone who's ever hurt me. It's for me and my haters. I don't like that. I resist that. And yet, how could it be true for me if it's not true for them? And so, 
the salvation of my enemy is so completely wrapped up in my own salvation. This is why grace isn't the central message of most Christian churches, you understand. Because Jesus Christ lifted up, draws all people to himself, not just the worthy, not just the likely, not just the lovely, all means all, which means with my luck, I'll be seated at the heavenly banquet between Harvey Weinstein and some racist cop. Okay, <clears throat> this is the part that's confusing to me. Confusing in some senses, uh, makes complete sense in other senses. Uh, the comment about most churches not preaching grace, uh, I found that to be more true in left-wing mainline churches that if you're not on board with certain concepts, there's not a lot of grace for you. That's my personal experience, uh, mainly through my time at Claremont. Have you heard me discuss that? Now, as I said, uh, we all have commands. Even the postmoderns have absolute truths. Their truths subvert. Our truths are... Um, propositional. Propositional truth. Okay. Now, according to Nadia's view of grace... What's the difference between a racist cop and a transgender person? See, if I put this question in Nadia, there would be fury. <laughs> and I've put because I've put this question to my postmodern Christian friends, and it's uh, let me just say it doesn't necessarily end well. Now, are they both sinners? If not, why not? Is it because Nadia says so? Well, Nadia says, no, the, the transgender person is not a sinner because that's that's how they were born. The racist cop has chosen to behave in that way. Oh, now, wait a minute. Um, has not a transgender person chosen to behave in a certain way? Yeah, but, but their sin's not hurting anybody, and we can talk about that in a minute. But Nadia, Nadia would say, no, they're not both sinners. But I would say, yeah, they're both sinners. One is a racist, and the other is sexually and really uh, a sexual sinner and, and really ultimately breaking the fifth commandment. Now, why is she right and I'm wrong? And, and here's our problem. Here's, here's where the, the problem with authority comes in. Why is Nadia right and I'm wrong? If grace is what Nadia says it is, then why can't we just... Let the Harvey Weinsteins of the world continue to behave the way they do and say, hey, you know, this is just how this guy is. You know, he was born a sexual predator, you know, and he finds fulfillment in that. Who are we to judge? Where do we draw that line? Who gets to decide? Who gets grace and can continue to behave the way they want to and who doesn't? And the whole who's it hurting argument. It doesn't work. And again, we pointed this out in many podcasts, how sexual deviancy, sexual sin against Holy Scripture is harmful. We've shown this. The only thing that works is God's commands. Yes, we can question it and try to figure out the reasons why God commanded these things. And I think we can reason back to virtually all of God's moral law. But if we can't figure it out, if it seems too hard, 
if it doesn't comport with our feelings or our lived experience or our reason, um, then we have to take it and say, okay, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me, but God said it and I'm going to obey. Now, let me finish with this on the point of universalism. And I think it's a simple point. Um, I wonder how the victims of Harvey Weinstein would take Nadia's sermon here or a mother whose son was shot by a racist cop. I wonder wonder how they would feel about Nadia's theological positions here. That doesn't seem terribly compassionate. That aside, Christ died for all sin. He does draw all men to himself. Sadly, men reject the gospel of our Lord Christ. And that has eternal consequences. Um, Nadia wants to have the luxury of having her cake and eating it too, in a sense here. That she wants to judge sins on this earth temporally, but reject the notion that they have eternal consequences. At any rate, um, got to close it off for this week. Probably brought together the whole idea of the antinomian postmodern idea, hopefully a bit here for you folks, but, uh, cause it's there. It's definitely there. And I think that's where, that's why I'm worried about antinomianism and why I'm more worried about postmodernism. So anyway, please give your $50. Um, you can do it in increments, like I said before. Uh, to the Kenny Wall Project and listen to us on KNNA The Cross and uh, we'll see you next week uh, with an interview from uh, Monica Ocholo take care, see you then Hey preacher man give me the gospel it brings salvation to those who believe